Thank you so much for um, leading us this morning. <clears throat> How great thou art! That's that is my favorite hymn. Uh, if we sing that one every week, if uh, I, I won't complain, and if anybody else does, I'll handle all the complaints. Um, I, I love that song. Um, it, it it just it calls to mind just how great God is, um, and it's a good reminder that um, He is great, and and I am not, um, and and our need for Him is is tremendous. Um, I don't know about you, but it was nice to wake up this morning with heat compared to last Sunday. Um, I actually felt like as I woke up last Sunday and we came in here and we recorded, we had we had power, but we didn't have internet here last week. So um, Mike Havrilla was gracious to, um, as we recorded the service, to take that home and post that on the internet. Um, but I, as, as I woke up and was getting going last week, I, I literally think I, I could hear a whisper when I, I went to get out of bed, having spent the night in the cold. I don't know if you heard the same whisper that said, um, you're not young uh, and, and your body's going to hurt for the next couple of hours at least, right? Um, my, my back still feels like we don't have power. <laughs> it does, it's still this morning, uh, but it is great to be warm. It's great to be able to see faces this morning and know that we're connecting um, at the same time that we're here also online. We're going to be back in our um, study of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 4. We took a little bit of a break from this last week because I believe this is something that Really, um, my, my heart is, as I prayed over this, and I feel like really God has led us not just into this book, but where, where we land in chapter 4, I believe it's something that um, our church needs as much access to this morning um, and this week as we can possibly have, because there's some really great questions that, that need to be asked out of this chapter, reading um, really the events of what happens, what God does in here, really, because that's, that's the story of Acts, not just what people were up to, but what God was up to. Um, and, and as we get started in this, um, chapter 4, up to this point, it seems like everything is going phenomenal. Um, it, I, I don't know what it was like in their families because we're really just looking at this from the context of, of church, pretty much. Um, and, and I think to almost some extent, if you've ever been part of a church and everything is just seems like it is just absolutely amazing, nothing can stop you, nothing can hold up what's happening, God is doing great things, and then all of a sudden, boom, that first thing happens. Maybe you, you've also experienced that in other realms of life, um, school, marriage, work. It seems like everything's going great, then all of a sudden it's, boom, that one argument, that one issue, that one thing that comes up, and it seems like kind of the brakes get pumped a little bit. The church is not stopped in Acts 4, but it's, it's brought to a point of focus, I believe, um, for, for a really necessary purpose, because there was, there was many miles still to travel. Um, and, and I think there needed to be not just a celebration, but also an appreciated seriousness um, to really know what life is and what um, it, it's going to be. Um, before we get started in Acts chapter 4, there's going to be three words that are going to be on the screen. Um, and, and these three words have three circles around them because these three things, opposition, persecution, suffering, not many times you bring these up in a sermon and everybody's like, yes, I came the right Sunday. I tuned in the right Sunday. Like, that's what I want to talk about. But, and, and sometimes we just kind of lump them all in together. But when these things come up in life, I think, it's, I think we, need to be, we need to be fair to really what God is doing and what's happening in our life to say, okay, what's really the difference in each of these three? Because sometimes what you're experiencing in life has one foot in two different ones of these. Maybe even kind of straddling all three, but th there is a unique difference. Opposition is just simply someone or something that stands against what you think, believe, feel, or am try are trying to get done. Opposition is just something that stands there. Now, opposition can be there without your productivity being threatened. 
Opposition can exist without you ever slowing down. Sometimes opposition is just what we know exists. We just simply know that someone is against what we're doing. They don't believe the same way. We see it in media. We see it in culture. Sometimes opposition, and and here's probably the most dangerous one. Maybe we can all agree on this one. Sometimes my greatest opposition is myself. The fact that I want to be comfortable at times. I want to do the things that I want to do, and and I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to get uncomfortable. I don't want to go the extra mile. I don't want to, I don't want to do something that's really a better thing. Sometimes I just want to take a break, take a nap, right? Sometimes the greatest opposition can be really even our own self. It can be from the inside, not just the outside. Persecution. In, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when you look at the, the Hebrew and the Greek versions of what we translate persecution, it carries this, this big idea of being pursued. So persecution is when opposition comes after you with the purpose of inflicting something, stopping you, doing something in a way that really changes the momentum of what seems to be going on. Sometimes persecution can be light. Sometimes it can be manageable. Sometimes we really can get through it on our own, really, without even really seeking God and, and kind of knowing what he says. Sometimes we're just strong enough or we're, we're determined enough. We can just kind of get through it. We can muscle through it. But persecution also can go all the way into suffering. Now, suffering isn't just what people try to put on us. Suffering itself really is what you or I experience. This can happen in our thoughts. It can be a mental suffering. It can be emotional. It can be physical. There's a lot of forms of suffering, but, but these things are definable um, themselves. And when we go through different things in life, we can experience sometimes all of these. Now, in chapter 4, in chapter 4, what, what Peter and John directly face is really kind of at first mainly just opposition. And, and they kind of put one foot into persecution. But at this point, they don't, they don't really experience real suffering. And really for us, I believe as Christians, especially in the, in the great nation that we've had the privilege of living in, um, many of us have, have really never um, gone deep into suffering um, unless it's something uh, that we've dealt with physically as sickness or it's something relational. Like we, Mostly we've never really in, in, engaged in the kind of suffering that this first generation church was met with. Um, in, in, the, in Roman culture, people would... would would throw social events. If you ever think, man, I went into a party and had to kind of decide, like, how all into this party am I going to go? And you really struggle with how it affected maybe your witness or, or, or something like that or, or just your, your lifestyle. But for them, there, there would be people that would, would, would arrange these social gatherings. And because it was driven by a Roman culture coming in, you would have to be announced, be introduced, not just kind of from person to person or couple to couple, but kind of publicly introduced. And, and when you were introduced, you had to pledge allegiance to the Roman government, to Caesar. And as a Christian, if you came in and said, well, I, I can't really say that Caesar is Lord here because Jesus is my Lord, and, and you confess that publicly, then you could be put to death. It was a trap. I mean, think about that. I mean, you know, just you're going out and you, just want, you kind of want to barbecue with some people. The next thing you know, your life's on the line. I mean, this is a different culture. We, we really haven't walked in a lot of that, but I, I want to look at what they... They walk through today together in chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1. Um, it says this, While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them. You're going to see twice it describes the group of people, and sometimes later down in this chapter it actually mentions 
um, specific people that came in, they're going to be confronted and they're going to be captured by a group of people that represent everything. And when I say everything, this is what I mean. Um, culturally, for, for the early church and really in Jewish culture, which they were still largely living in here in Jerusalem, um, social pressure, culture pressure, legal pressure, political pressure, religious pressure, it, it, it was all the same. Um, it wasn't, hey, let me kind of go to church and get a breather here. Um, let me go to worship at temple and kind of just get refreshed. Then I'll go deal with kind of what culture or media says or, or, or whatever. It was, it was all one big thing. So if you've ever gotten family, culture, social, political, if you've ever felt that kind of come at you, it, all, it always it was all the same group in this culture. They confronted them. Why? Because they were annoyed. Well, that's, that's the reason why I want somebody to stop my day, right? Just the fact that somebody gets annoyed, you want to meet that person early in the morning, right? Buy them coffee, sit down, see what's going on. It's because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. That's, that's a Roscoe P. Coltrane move right there. They, they went in, they captured them. If you have no idea who that individual is, welcome to the South. We'll talk after, and we'll get you a subscription to some kind of streaming service that'll get you into some Dukes of Hazard episodes. Um, so basically, they, they capture them, they confront them, because probably they've been meeting, and they've kind of, like, they've fed off of each other's aggravation. Well, they arrest them late enough in the day that where it's like, well, we'll just, we'll deal with them in the morning. They're, 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 locked, they're on lockdown now. They can't do anything. So everybody else went home and slept, and then they came back the next day. Um, after they spent the night um, arrested. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, just if you're keeping track in the book of Acts, at, at, the, at the beginning of this, when the Holy Spirit came onto believers, it was about 120 people. As the gospel began being preached, the first number we see come out, if you remember, is 3,000 people. At this point, it's 5,000. But we've gone back to just like, like when Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes. We're, we just, this is a masculine term here. It's just a count of the men. So what was the number of actual believers? We don't know exactly. But if you just say, well, that's just one category of believers, you can see how the number here is exploding. And there, there's, this is not just now, um, this isn't just an annoyance. They're, they're starting to recognize this is, this is a movement of faith. This is a movement of something that they can't really figure out how to stop or slow down. So what do you do? You go to the leaders. You go to the people that seem like they're in charge or they're the most influential. This is the next day, verse 5, the next day, uh, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the um, high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. Um, this, the whole crew's there. Everybody's in the room ready to discuss, ready to come up with a solution. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was, and there's the phrase that we're seeing over and over in Acts, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, he didn't get extra Holy Spirit in this moment. In this moment, filled with the Holy Spirit through Acts means that he is under the influence, direction, and control in the moment of the Holy Spirit. Um, you may say, man, I don't, gosh, I, like, I don't know that I, I could ever have one of those moments. You ever been in a conversation with somebody, and, and because of how that conversation went, you went, man, God, I really think you were speaking through me there, because that, that wasn't even my opinion, my words. Like, that just, I, I saw something come out of that conversation that's just, it was bigger than me, filled with the Holy Spirit. 
when you're there facing a decision, and normally you would go one way, but because you want to really live faithfully for the Lord, you go, you know what, let's do this differently this time. It's filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? It's being led, being directed by living in the will of the Holy Spirit. And, and Peter said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means was he healed? So if you remember back in chapter 3, Peter and John said what to him? Look, we don't have gold or silver, but what we have we give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand up. You're healed. And this guy was clinging on to him. He was jumping and running around. He was healed of, of what was wrong with him for over 40 years. He had been in that condition. And, and, and here Peter and John are like, really, guys, did you bring us in to question us because something really good happened? It, it, have you ever been in a meeting especially like at work, you, you ever go into a meeting and somebody's just like, all right, we've got to sit down and talk about this. And they go into a conversation about something and you can tell they're upset about something and you just want to look at them and go, really, that's what you're upset about? Like of all the things in the world, the, like the hunger, the starving people, like that, of, of everything that's going on, of the fact that we're blowing money in this other area, like you, you, this is what you're really that upset about? That's, that's kind of the, I mean, he doesn't have that attitude, but I mean, that's kind of the call of the moment. It says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This is Jesus, the stone rejected by, your build, by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an Old Testament quote, a prophecy, um, saying that the people that, that Jesus came to would reject him, but, but that the rejection didn't stop Jesus. In fact, it, it led him, the rejection of people led to the cross, which then led to his resurrection and, and led to him becoming the, this, this savior of the world that we serve, that we follow. It says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You know, there is, there is very, there's very few circumstances in life that I think we could even, um, we could even begin to argue that the, that the wrong thing to do in a moment would be to just simply make sure that we give Jesus credit. And, and particularly in opposition, when somebody says, why are you doing that? If, if, if we can kind of the mindset as Christians, and, and many of us wonder, man, how can I really share my faith? How can I engage other people? If we can just simply just take the step to be focused about, how do, I, how do I take the conversation to the Jesus level? How can I give him some credit? And some people, you, you know them, you've talked to them, you're like, man, some people are just better than that than I am. But, but nobody, there's no spiritual gift to taking a conversation to the Jesus level. People get good at that just by practice. It's a habit that we develop. And, and it doesn't always come out first because we're, we're, we're prideful people that kind of want our way. And sometimes when somebody just comes up and says, hey, you know, you're really good at that, we go, yeah, thanks. Because we kind of want a little, we, we need some affirmation, we need some encouragement. That's a, that's a, that's a serious need that we have. So we kind of take that in. Instead of saying, you know what, okay, there's a small opportunity. You know what, I, I thank you for recognizing that. Man, I'm just, I'm so blessed that God gave me a chance to just be part of that. I just, it, man, if I can use this gift that he's given me to just, man, just point people to recognize that he gives good gifts, that he gives talents out just like the ones you have. I mean, it, it, it does take practice. And as they're beginning this, and, and this is their life now, 
this is the answer they give, that there's salvation in no one else but Jesus. And, and I think that in itself is a reminder for us as believers, we, we can't get trapped in, I don't want to say the wrong conversations, but I want to say we can't get trapped in conversations out of order. Because until someone has really committed their heart to Jesus, spiritual principles, living a biblical lifestyle, isn't really going to make sense to them. And it's going to exhaust us to, to put that expectation on them. And sometimes we see somebody and we see something in their life and we're like, I gotta, man, like you got to fix that. Like That's not right. But again, why fix it if they don't really love Jesus? We have to start with their salvation and no one else. You, you know what? No matter what the lifestyle somebody has, they realize that they do wrong things. And if, they, if you can, in conversation, engage them in this idea that, that what will be the cost of wrong things, no matter what their lifestyle is, that begins to get them to open up their heart to, okay, there's going to be an end of my life. What, what's, what's happening here? What am I living for? Who, where am I going? And, and the answer to all of that is Jesus. And then the answer to life and decisions becomes Jesus. The boldness of the disciples, when they were observed, the boldness of Peter and John and they realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and, and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, think about it. You just, I mean, this is a pretty solid day at the office. They're walking into the temple. They're going to be speaking. They're going to be teaching a little bit. They're going to be sharing their faith. Crippled guy at the door. Been crippled for 40 years. They're like, you know what? Pockets are empty, but guess what? Bippity-boppity Jesus, you're healed. People start flooding around them. Listen, tell us more. Like, we want to hear about Jesus. I mean, it's great. Like, everything is going great. And, and out of that, these other people, remember, the opposition, what do they recognize? Man, this is, man, people are getting healed. People are following. This is crazy. And what do they recognize first? Hang on a second. These guys don't seem that smart. You know, opposition comes in a lot of forms. Sometimes it's just the voice of discouragement. It's just, it's just, it's, it's who or what just burst your bubble. And if you don't think enough burst bubbles affect your walk with Christ, they do. They absolutely do. Because when my, bu when my bubble gets burst, then what do I do? I, I, I go, I go self-pity. I go aggravation. I go all these thoughts that aim my focus towards me and not towards God, not towards others. They noticed a difference between, and, and this is so key. Now, are, they, are, I mean, are we learning from this passage that education training is, is, is of no use? No. Specifically in the New Testament, we, we see that we're supposed, to, we're supposed to be trained. We're supposed to dive deep in the Word and educate ourselves and be prepared for the work that God calls us to. But, but what's key is here is that, that these folks that, that really spend a lot of time on the learning of life recognize that their learning, their education wasn't producing the kind of things that, was coming, that were coming from the life of those that seemed much less educated. So it brought them to what question? Why? And, and I love it because this, this entire process of people being so aggravated at folks talking about Jesus is just aiming them at talking about who? Jesus. Because what did it say? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that he was the reason that this was happening. Now, um, there, and there's always this connection between the boldness that we're supposed to live in and really following the Holy Spirit, the Jesus inside of us. Verse 14, and since they saw the man who had been healed standing with him, notice standing, he was like, I ain't sitting down. Somebody's like, here, have a seat. No, I'm good. Been sitting for a while now. He's still standing beside him. 
It says that after they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do about these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Did you hear verse 16? They saw the evidence. They didn't, they didn't know exactly their explanation. They knew they were against it, but they couldn't deny it. There's so many things that we can live out as believers that even if somebody doesn't like it or they don't agree with it, they can't deny it. They, they see the evidence of it. You know why it's work, worth working? So many of us think as believers the, the, the reason to work on our marriages is just so we're happier at home. The whole purpose of marriage is for other people to see the gospel. Yes, a byproduct is we're happier at home. We have a healthier home life between spouses and in, and in those houses. But the real purpose, the real drive behind that is how can we show Jesus as a couple to others? When, when somebody looks at two believers, and they're like, yeah, that's, a, that's a great marriage. We can't deny it. It's good. We may not agree with what all they do, but we can't deny the fact that they have a unity and a harmony and a purpose in life that we don't have. Maybe we need to investigate that. Maybe they're ready to open up and talk about it. There's so many things that, that are undeniable as we just live for Christ, even before we, we, we engage with somebody. So verse 16 is when they're saying, okay, we see it, we see the evidence, but notice what seems like a crazy disconnect. And this is a disconnect for those of us that are believers in Jesus. I would argue with you for somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, who's somebody that's lost or somebody that's really living lost, this disconnect makes perfect sense. We see it, but, verse 17, but so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. What? This guy got healed? You want less of that in your culture? These people are unified, they're sharing, they're giving, they're taking care of each other. You want that to stop? I mean, even if you disagree with their religious leader, like, it, are you not seeing the differences in your town, in your city? But they just, let's just snuff it out. Because someone who doesn't believe in Jesus is going to feel threatened by the gospel. Because the gospel says, basically, that I as an individual aren't good enough to gain glory. That only God is. And the solution to that is me coming into a relationship with him by humbling myself and believing and having faith, that threatens culture directly because culture is driven by self-serving, being happier, being more pleased. We're not trying to kill culture. We're trying to let culture see Jesus because honestly, at the end of the day, no matter how influential someone is, to think that that one person is going to eradicate a movement in culture is, is a little steep of a responsibility. If you, if you went forward into um, in, in Acts 19, Paul, who's not even in this story yet, we haven't even gotten his story yet, Paul is in a city called Ephesus. And this was a dark, spiritual, demonic culture. And one of the things that was happening was in the name of Jesus, just like Peter and John were doing, Paul was going around and he was, he was getting rid of demons out of people's bodies, out of people's lives. There were some really tangible, amazing things going on. 
Um, in chapter 19, you'll see it was such an incredible work of God that people were taking pieces of cloth that came into contact with Paul. Because it was God that was doing this work, and because he was working through him so mightily, they were taking pieces of material that came in contact with him. They would lay it on someone that was sick, and they were getting well. How insane is that? And, and there were, you know, there's always piggybackers in life, right? Somebody sees something great happening, so they, just, they want to jump on the train, and they want to kind of try to ride it themselves. There were Jews, and, and there were other religious people who were... Um, kind of self-proclaimed spiritual guides. So they said, okay, it, it, it was so impressive. They said, okay, we'll try our hand at it. So they were going into situations where someone was within demonic control, under demonic control, and, and they were making this statement because Paul was so clear, like Peter and John, that this is all done in the name of Jesus. This is what it says, read chapter 19. Um, it, it, they were saying that, that in the name of Jesus and in the name of Paul, basically they were trying to command demons out of people. Here's the scary thing, and I don't do scary movies, but here's the real-life scary movie. The demons answered back. Anybody want to sign up for that one? They answered back. You know what their answer was? They said, we know, man, because this, this is like almost gives you chills, because this is the power of God, and this is, this is the reality of living for him. And, and when you're, I know we say like on fire for God, but when you're just faithful, because that's really what Paul was. Paul wasn't on fire. He was just faithful. The demons responded back. They said, we know Jesus. We even know what Paul's up to. But who are you? Isn't that crazy? Like, that'll give you goosebumps. Because, because the work of God is a real thing. And you can't fake it. You absolutely can't fake it. And, and the whole reason all this stuff was going on was because God wanted to show him something. Within this Ephesus culture, there was a guy named Demetrius. He was a silversmith, and he rallied a huge number of people around um, being against Paul and against this movement of faith they called the way, and he rallied a whole lot of people around one idea. You know what that idea was? They were busting up their economy. They were making money off forming gods and selling things that people were buying to keep demons away and to continue worship to other people, and, and they were making good money on it. And when Jesus' name started getting preached, people were released from, from that cloud of deceit. So that's not where they were spending their money. So people that were capitalizing on that started to go out of business and started to see their pocketbooks suffer. So all of a sudden, they were threatened financially, so they went directly against what the work of God was. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. If, you can, if we can step out of kind of our Christian box in our minds... We get, you know what, that, that, actually, that actually makes perfect sense. I can see why they would be so angry about that. I mean, think about it. it, it it's irrational to us as believers. Um, and I, I know you guys, you, you see media, you, you read social media, you see, you see some certain things that people talk about. Um, you go on the Internet and, and you search for a couple of products, and every time you go on social media after that, do you not see advertisements for those products? I'm like, the exact products. Sometimes I kind of just do it just to kind of like see how detailed can this thing really get. Really go after like a real weird product. Like just, you know, search for like um, insoles for a third foot or something like that. I mean, like really go after something and see like how good is this algorithm. But you see that stuff happening, right? You also hear people talking about how when they express certain opinions, social media can immediately block them. 
Because remember, we're signing up under their umbrella, not them signing up under ours. You, you, you kind of see those things working, right? And how, how detailed those things are and how quick stuff can happen. Why haven't they got rid of child pornography? Why haven't they got rid of just pornography in general? We know the effects of it. We know how it can tear someone's psychological being apart, whether they're a believer or they're not. You don't think they could get rid of that? It's, it's, it's a, again, it's, it's a world culture. It's what the Bible calls a world culture. We're here to, to spread Jesus into it. Not, not to let it destroy our, our sense of sanity and our sense of purpose. Now, here's some things about how Peter and John handled this opposition. Verse uh, 18, so they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. You may say, well, hang on a second. Are they backing down? Like that, I, don't, I think they should really tell them what's right and what's wrong. No, Peter and John, still led by the Holy Spirit, exercise this, this kind of, um, I'll call it a, a coping mechanism for stress and anxiety in life. Sometimes you just got to let opposition be opposition. We're not called as believers to win. We're called to witness. And, that, and that's, what, that's what Peter and John said. In verse 20, it says, um, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. It's, listen, we, we can't, you know what? If you think, whether it's right or wrong in your own opinion, we're going to let you have that one. But we're going to be quite clear up front about what we do. We just can't stop talking about it. Because the things that we've seen and we've heard are real. In fact, they even know that y'all have already seen and heard about some of them. And that's the great, that, you know, I mean, when, when, we can, when we can live in those kind of truths, um, I come home all the time. I call Wendy all the time, frustrated because of an experience that I have when I go in any number of stores that I frequent. And, and Wendy has started to remind me of something that's really kind of helping me out. It's starting to take root in my head. She tells me now, she's like, you know what? You messed up again. I'm like, what do you mean I messed up? Did you not hear the story I just told you about how this person did this? She's like, I know, but you remember, you did it again. Said, what did I do? You left the house with expectations. <laughs> kind of makes sense, right? Not that somebody was going to be the best in the world at something, but just you expected normal. And sometimes I now, before I go in the store, I look at the doors and I clench my steering wheel and I go, eliminate expectations. Because why? I don't, need to be, I don't need to carry that stress. I don't need to carry that, 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 that edge to me. I need to be thinking about whoever's in front of me in, in, in whatever mode, mode they're in or mood they're having. How can I let them know about what's going on with Jesus? How can I talk about him into their life um, as well? After threatening them further. I don't even know what that means. This, this is my guess on that one. As they're, as, they're, as they're circled around and they're like, you are not going to speak about them anymore. Then somewhere around those was like the second row of people who, who really didn't have a lot of authority. They just wanted to chime in. These were the guys behind it and the ladies behind it were like, yeah. And, and, and who touched my hand biscuit? And like, they're, like, they're just like, they're mad and they don't even know what they're arguing about. But they just want to throw some more on top of it, right? So they just threatened them further. They released them. Um, they found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. 
After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God. And after that, if you continue reading in verse in chapter 4, it, it has the prayer that they prayed. Um, and, and, and I think just on the subject of church unity, what do we do together? How do we really come together with one voice? Sometimes we think about um, the voice that we need to have, that we just stand against something. Um, as a church, as a, as a body of Christ, whether it's here or whether it's someone else, the, the healthiest pattern to, to what we say publicly, especially with a collective voice, is to first come together and bring our prayers to God and our praise and our requests to Him and get a focus from Him. So then that collective voice that should have power goes out in the right way to the world that um, may not look at things the way that we do as we take Jesus to them. Now, um, I'm going to step into, just for a few minutes, into 1 Peter because um, this, this is about the story of Peter and John. Peter's right at the forefront of this. Later in Peter's life, he wrote some letters and it went out to believers and we have them still recorded in our Bible. And I think much of the heart of what he started to face in opposition and maybe some persecution when suffering was carried by others and intent after him, um, we can really gain a good perspective because I believe there's a question that, that really begs to be answered and considered out of Acts chapter 4. As a primary pursuit in life, will I, will you, will we pursue a good life or a godly life? And, and, I, and I ask that question because I believe we can have both. I don't mean it's an either or. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the person that's going to stand up here and say, you know what, as a Christian, you aren't going to have a good life. Like that, that sermon really needs no airtime, okay? Um, I, I believe you can have both, but I believe that we have to choose one with the ultimate goal of gaining the other. In other words, we have to, in our minds, start out this way. Okay, if I pursue a good life, and good life can be defined a lot of ways. Good life can be defined by the possessions that I want, the living condition I want to have, the job I want to, like the, the set of circumstances that seem just good to me. If I pursue that hard, will I likely end up living a godly life? Or if I pursue a godly life and, and, and I focus on what the Lord tells me, and, and am, am I confidently living with this understanding that I can also end up with a good life as I live in a godly fashion? One of them is going to get our primary pursuit. And what we got to bank on is, is which one is so reliable that it gets us to the other. In 1 Peter chapter 4, these verses um, are, I think, really get us kind of in a good perspective here. Because when we really start to pursue a good life first, I think sometimes we, we run up where, chap, where verse 12, um, what, what verse 12 says here in chapter 4. Dear friends... Don't be surprised, or some translations say, think it's strange, when you um, come upon the fiery ordeal or fiery trials, when they come upon you to test you. And if something unusual were to happen to you, as if something unusual were to happen to you, you know, I think sometimes as believers, we, 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 like when we pursue a good life, all of a sudden we come up against opposition because opposition persecution, suffering, because the Bible even tells us as we follow Jesus, if we have that desire, if that's who we are, those things will find themselves, they will find themselves in our lives. We, we go, like, why, like, why this? Like, we, we think it's odd. We think it's strange. Like, why am I having to deal with this? Because I really believe that, that, that we have been tricked. We've been tricked. Listen, 
and, and, and I'm, I, I will say that I would put myself in the same category. We as believers, I think, have been tricked into thinking that we deserve a better life than the one that Jesus lived and the disciples lived out with him. We're, if we're called to be Jesus followers, but, but we live in such a culture where we convince ourselves my life should be easier than that. So do I have a right? Do I mean, like, if I have to really, if I'm really being honest, I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing some of these thoughts. Do I have a right to, to, to think that? Is that even reasonable? He writes on, Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may rejoice with great, with great joy when His glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, some of us, that's where we check out as believers. We're like, you know what? I was with you through the collection of, of donations. I was with you through a lot of stuff. But if I have to look at hard times in life as great times in life, I think that's where I'm going to cut it on cruise control as a believer in Jesus, and I'm just going to kind of pursue the good life. Don't misunderstand what the Bible is saying when it comes to counting difficult things joy. Paul writes this in Philippians 1.29. He says, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Just the bad times in life, it's going to be really difficult for us to just say, man, those are awesome, those are joyful. Those are a gift. Because that's only half the gift. The significant half that we're not paying attention to, that I forget about sometimes is, is that just being able to believe in Jesus is a gift. In the past couple of years, I've struggled with anxiety like I've never struggled with anxiety in my life. Really probably for the past three and there's been times where I have stressed myself out so much over some physical things that I've really sat alone and thought as I tried to go to sleep, man, Lord, am, 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 is, is my body failing? Am I dying? Like, is there an end coming soon to me? And, and, and in some nights, I mean, that struggle was so real that I felt like I could actually hold it in my hands. And honestly, it took a while because I was not finding any joy in that. But when God really started to awaken me to this idea that, that I really in my life wasn't trusting in his will enough and all that he could do enough and all that I would leave behind, and when I started having to wake myself up and say, God, I have to trust you, then the, then the gift to be able to trust that deeply in a Savior allowed me to look at that test, that trial, even though it doesn't wash away in a moment, as something that I could find some joy, some growth in, some change in me in. It's, it's not the easiest part, but, but it's, it, the key is the gift to believe and trust in Jesus. And some people who don't believe in, this is what they'll tell you. I'll just go ahead and, I'm gonna go ahead and throw it out there for you. They're going to say, that's weak. You're crazy. You're putting your faith in something you can't touch. Like, you just need to go through these steps to really deal with what you're dealing with. You know what? I'm going to let opposition be opposition. Because if you don't know my Jesus... I don't blame you for not being in love with him. If you haven't figured out how much he loves you, I don't blame you for not loving him back. But I want to tell you more about him because that's such a huge part of the gift. Here's a few things. I just want to throw some stuff out there to you, as, as, and I'll pick these verses back up in a second. Um, sometimes living obediently brings great opposition. Um, Sometimes opposition isn't a curse that's on our life. Sometimes it's evidence of our, our reward. 
I need, to, I need to pray more for a ministry that God will give me than for Him to remove my misery? If no persecution or opposition is evident in my life, am I living godly enough for others to see Jesus to actually have something to oppose? If I pursue glorifying God with my life, will in fact my life ever be bad? I mean really bad. Without hope. That's how I define bad at this point in life. Without hope. I mean, I, bad things are going to happen. But, but is there hope there? As, as Paul concludes this passage, I want, I just, I'm looking back just to make sure that I don't, my, my notes are kind of intertwined here in certain verses. Um, I just want to make sure I don't miss anything. Uh, Paul, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Peter ends this way. Let, let none of you suffer as murder, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But in any, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in, in having that name. Um, there, there is some truth to, there's consequences to our sin. Uh, there's certain oppositions, there's certain suffering, there's certain persecution in life that I may cause. <laughs> like the fact, if, like if, the, if the police are chasing you because you just stole a car, that's not persecution. <laughs> that's called crime and punishment, right? I, there, there are things that we can do to create certain situations in life. I'm, I'll go all in on this one. My fear, my fear for us pursuing a good life, what does it lead to? My, I, told, I told you, it's been, you know, it's been cold, power's been out, and my back has been so sore, so stiff all week. Um, I came home last night, and I put a heating pad on my back, and I started just going over a few notes for my sermon, and I just got comfortable, and I just said, you know what, I'm tapping out. You ever, you ever, you ever feel tired enough to where you just go ahead and preset that alarm? Because you're like, I ain't coming back from this one. <laughs> and, and I did, I checked out. And, and that was a pursuit of feeling a little bit better, feeling good. But it was at the cost for time that I could have spent with my family. I mean, my back really wasn't hurting that bad. Sometimes we want to pursue good. Yesterday we went out to serve and um, uh, we went out to dinner after it. And restaurants you can't have but so many people at the table and some different things. And um, I ended up in the meal sitting with my boys and we were with some different people from church. And after it, Wendy looked at me. She was like, what, what, what kind of what went on? That was kind of weird like that you were just over there with the boys. And, and there was a situation between me and one of my sons that had kind of, you know, something had kind of been brewing in him. And, and it kind of came up at that moment, and, it, and it, was, it was because of my reaction to it. As the Bible says, don't frustrate your kids. I frustrated him. I made it difficult for him in, the, in that moment what, what, with what he was dealing with. And honestly, at that moment, I, I wanted to go hang out with friends. I did. And if I would chose good in that moment, like I chose good later, it, it, we would have had nothing. We would have had just, I mean, it would have just been a loss. We had some really good conversations, and we really spent some. We spent a good few minutes together. And that was good for us, but it, did, it didn't. It didn't always. It didn't get me immediately. The good, but but honestly, what what came out of it after it was, I was like, yeah, it was better. See, th there's a lot of regular ways that we're going to find this, and and I feel like I'm part of a generation who we're 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 honestly we're quite off track. We care more about how our kitchens look than the discipleship that happens around our kitchen tables. 
know what I'm saying? It's why all churches have trouble getting people to work in their children's department. Because what do we want to do? We want to come to church. We want to be in a service. And we are in services. We're all women. We're in all kinds of services. There's always opportunities. But the godly thing is to raise another generation for Jesus. And to go back and tell our Jesus story to those kids and share what the Bible says about them. One of these things is going to win, folks. And sometimes it, it feels like a seesaw, right? Like you choose godly, then you go back to good, then you choose good three times, and you choose godly seven times, and you feel like you're on the seat. You know what that's called? It's called growth. It's called being aware. But I do believe we're going to pursue one or the, over the other. And the one that is being chosen right now, how likely is it to get you to the other? Because I believe that godly and good exist together. And I believe that Acts is starting to really open up, hopefully, some good questions to us to figure out how to get to both. As we wrap this service up, if you wouldn't mind, just with me, just kind of do yourself. Maybe just, if you would, bow your heads for just a moment. If you're at home, just try to bring some things around you, maybe to just some, some still and quiet. As you really consider the word that God has opened up to us today, um, as we led into this service, as into this time of the message we, we sang together this hymn, How Great Thou Art. And the truth is, God is great whether we say it or not. He's good whether we think about it or not. He's loving where, whether we talk about Him that way and we think of Him that way and we consider Him that way or not. But that is the God that we serve. That is the God that sent Jesus, God Himself, to this planet to redeem us, to get us back to where we always should have been in the first place. And I want you to know that I believe that God is calling us to live a godly and experience a good life. But we are all grown enough to realize that, that nowhere in that is absolute ease and comfort. And really this, this amazing truth is we can live a godly life. So we can see all that he can do. And in that, he still, in his grace and goodness, gives us so many things that add to our comfort, add to our pleasure, add to our experiences. But I believe that we do choose. And that's an unmistakable choice. And in our life, whether our opposition starts from without or within, whether someone is pursuing us because of a difference in belief or whatever it is, whether it's even physical, that, that there is suffering that is going on in our life. There's nothing that just is absent and void of purpose if it's in your life. God can define it. God can give purpose to it. God can reveal things. And many of those things, many of those moments, many of those understandings and those clarifications, I have found that I arrive at on the journey of life as I live. And the closer I live to Jesus the more I find out about those things. But just because you're struggling with one or two or three doesn't mean that you're a weak Christian, doesn't mean that you're unloved. It means that God wants to speak directly to you and he wants to surround you in a community of believers. And that's true whether you're here in this service or whether you're at home watching. So let's pray for his grace and his goodness. And if there's something that you would like to come up and pray about, maybe it's a decision to follow Jesus, come up and pray. We'll meet you here at the altar. If you're at home, 
and you need someone to talk to today, if you'll message us, if you'll respond to some of the forms on our website, we try to structure everything where we get notifications so that we know how we can respond to you. We're living in a time now to where if we expect everyone to come find us, we'll be alone. But if we'll engage just a little bit, we'll be met with the love of Jesus by him and by others.